Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. In a stunning reversal, Ukraine is making major gains with their counter-offensive, taking back formerly Russian-occupied territory, about 2,000 to 2,300 square miles. The Ukraine conflict has consistently shocked experts in their ability and the ability of its citizens to hold back the very formidable, at least what we thought was formidable, Russian forces. So the question then is, is this a turning point? Is this a momentum point? Is it sustainable? What comes next? To help us break all of that down, Shane Harris, intelligence and national security reporter for the Washington Post, joins us. And uh, Shane, you had a great piece uh, with your colleague Ellen Nakashima today uh, that actually had the headline, The Russians Are in Trouble. Uh, Give us some sense. Where are we and uh, what is your sense of uh, what comes next? Well, the Ukrainians have made this just really impressive uh, set of gains in taking back a number of these towns and villages in the northeast of Ukraine. And we've seen these really dramatic images of Russian forces beating a hasty retreat, in some cases, you know, leaving their tanks and their weapons behind. A pretty clear signal that they were not prepared for this Ukrainian advance and were kind of overwhelmed by it. So officials we've talked to have seen feel like this is a potential you know turning point in the war, but they're not ready to say that this is somehow the beginning of the end. There is quite a long fight ahead, and there is very intense fighting also in the south of Ukraine, where Ukraine is mounting another counteroffensive, but it doesn't yet have the momentum and hasn't really ratcheted up the kind of victories we've seen in the past several days in the northeast of the country. Yeah, and I, I think you're right in terms of it uh, not being the the beginning of the end. I think it's more the end of the beginning, uh, but it does put a, a really interesting framing uh, in terms of what comes next. I don't think anyone is expecting Vladimir Putin to uh, go quietly into the night on this one. Uh, what what are uh, experts anticipating in terms of what Vladimir Putin does next, uh, whether that's reinforcements or attacks? Well, at this point, I mean, that is something of that is the big question, I think, that U.S. officials and Ukrainians as well are asking. Would Putin actually do a mobilization of forces, just say call up, you know, uh, able-bodied men in the country uh, and basically say you're going to the front lines now? He's resisted that for fear of a political blowback, but there are some pressures even on him now. Uh, to consider doing that. If he threw more bodies at the problem, to put it bluntly, I mean, that could be trouble for Ukraine. But what we've also seen from the very beginning of Russia's invasion is their military is still plagued by logistical challenges, poor planning, 
issues with supply lines. You know, this formidable army that people in the U.S. assumed uh, and elsewhere in the West would just kind of roll over Ukraine has never really demonstrated that it has the capacity to, to carry out the plan. You could also anticipate a lot more artillery, a lot of the kind of the shelling and the things that Ukraine has done so far um, that have been successful. Um, but this is really like a turning point for Putin as well. I mean, the strategy so far to topple the government in Kiev and to hold large parts of the country clearly isn't working. So this is a turning point for him, too, I think. Yeah. And, and do you think it will be obviously we've we've focused a lot on uh, where he's turning for for help in terms of Iran, North Korea, uh, even China in terms of some of those resources. Uh, one of the things that I've been wondering about and curious your insight on this in terms of uh, airstrike and, and air capability, that was always kind of what uh, uh, President Zelensky had been asking for to be able to combat the air power of Russia. But that really doesn't seem to have materialized. Is that going to be the, the next big push for Vladimir Putin? What do you what do you suspect? I mean, you know, they have not used their air capability with any, you know, consistency and great force to date. And that's also been very puzzling. You know, why haven't they brought that out? Uh, I suppose, you know, Putin could really change gears and try to do that now. But I mean, Ukraine has presumably built up some anti-aircraft defense and that he takes a big risk in doing that. Now, the problem really seems to have been that he just doesn't have the capable forces on the ground and he's never really committed the sufficient numbers uh, to, to carry out the plan as he conceived. I, mean, I remember talking to intelligence officials back in the summer who in their assessment was that basically he has this kind of strategic plan to take over the country, but he's never really committed all the resources to do it. And that would include the air resources. Perhaps now at this late stage, he does that. But, you know, we haven't seen any real indication of him of changing course dramatically. I think that reliance on China, North Korea, Iran, I mean, that's, that's likely to increase uh, particularly if you know he's facing the potential of running out of ammunition in some cases. There's been some intelligence reporting that he's looking at North Korea to help replace artillery shells that are running low. Um, so none of this is really going in Russia's direction, and, and they've yet to signal a dramatic change in their strategy. Yeah, you, you mentioned the possibility of, of drafting or conscripts uh, from inside of Russia. What are the rumblings inside of Russia as it relates to Ukraine and, and the leadership of Vladimir Putin? It's really interesting. You're seeing a lot of, you know, frankly, kind of Kremlin mouthpieces, people with bloggers and other commenters on TV who are usually reliably in the camp of whatever Vladimir Putin's line is coming out of the Kremlin, starting to question what what is the strategy here. Uh, and even, you know, these, you know, essentially state-backed newscasters are coming on and reporting news of these retreats. So he is having, Putin is having a really difficult time hiding this from the Russian public, which could potentially increase pressure on him to call up a mobilization to turn it around. At the same time, if the Russian people think that, you know, Putin is simply bent on, you know, sacrificing their sons to win a war in Ukraine that he is clearly not winning, uh, there could be a potential uh, blowback against him personally. I mean, it's probably too early to consider whether or not Vladimir Putin could actually not stay in power, but I think that he views victory in in Ukraine as essential for him staying in power. So if he can't achieve that goal, um, those political wins are going to shift very quickly against him. Yeah, and then finally, just looking at Ukraine moving forward, obviously the counteroffensive gives them some some great momentum. Uh, do they have what they need, both in terms of uh, manpower and and artillery and and resources? To, to hold the gain. One thing to get the counteroffensive and, and get the gains, can they hold them and then the, can they extend that? 
Well, the question where they can hold it, I think, does depend on your first question of do they have the material and the manpower they need. You know, remember, they uh, essentially have a mass mobilization. You know, men of fighting age are, are required to stay in the country. But the weaponry that they've been getting from the West, from European countries, from the U.S., appears to have been decisive in this. I mean, uh, and you already saw this week almost in a kind of sigh of relief, a number of European officials coming out publicly and saying, boy, are we glad that we gave these weapons to the Ukrainians and let's let's keep it going. Because there was really a question, I think, in the past month or so, was, you know, all of this going to be for naught? Um, so, you know, those supply lines are coming. President Biden continues authorizing more weapons out of the stockpile that's been uh, essentially set aside for Ukraine. So they do, and I talk to Ukrainians, feel that they do have the weapons they need. They, would, of course, always like more, but they clearly have a dependence dependable, um, I think, supply of that coming in from their allies in the West. Yeah. And then finally, just real quickly, uh, going back to the the air power, of course, one of the early asks from President Zelensky was that everyone was very hesitant, especially in those early days, uh, sort of anticipating a defeat. Uh, does that change the dynamic? And will that air power support uh, in terms of planes uh, find its way into Ukraine? I haven't heard any indication that that's going to change. I think, of course, the hesitation there continues to be that the United States does not want to give Ukraine weapons that it could use to, to attack too far into mm-hmm. Russia, yeah. and planes could allow them to do that. Right now, they seem very, uh, the Russian Ukrainians seem to be doing a lot of great work with the more medium range missiles, the HIMARS, and the rockets that the U.S. has provided. Yeah, fantastic. Shane Harris, intelligence and national security reporter for The Washington Post. A great piece, great insight in terms of where we are, and uh, it will be fascinating to watch the if the momentum can continue. And this does become uh, what is next. Shane, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. And that's Shane Harris uh, from The Washington Post and uh, his piece uh, in The Post today uh, with uh, his colleague, Ellen Nakashima, is is just really great reporting, gives you a really good sense in terms of where things are on the ground inside of Ukraine. Again, they've been able to uh, take back over 2,300 square miles Uh, That's a significant gain for them. The test, can they hold that? Uh, And then can they start to make some progress in the south and east? Mariupol in particular is going to be a very crucial place and a crucial stand for Vladimir Putin and Russia. I think the most stirring thing I have seen is in so many of these small towns and cities in this area that's been reclaimed are suddenly raising the Ukrainian flag. Uh, That is a very powerful symbol of hope, leadership. And what comes next? That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for top of the hour news. Much more to come. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.